My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody. All right. Guess what book we're in today? We're in Mark. Yes, we are. Does anybody know what week it is in Mark? 19. Week 19. And we're getting close to finishing chapter 2. So there's two types of people in the world, those who can extrapolate from data and those who, yeah. Um, So I'll let you guess on how many weeks we'll be in Mark. But it'll be at least 20. At least 20. So uh, we'll start this week with a question that we've uh, been having each week as we go through. And, uh, or not, I even bought a new one this week just so that it would work well and it doesn't. So that's okay. All right. So the question is on your handout and it says, uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Several years ago, we had a uh, series where um, I invited you to memorize Bible verses. Uh, and we would say the Bible verses from memory at the beginning of each class. Y'all, you remember that? You remember that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I knew at some point this question would become a bit of an awkward silence. And uh, my, this would probably not surprise many of you, uh, I really spectacularly don't care. Uh, because I'm going to ask this question every single week. Because if we are not wrestling with the text, uh, then we are missing out on what uh, God is communicating. So I want us to wrestle with the text. So, one more time. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? I'm also extremely comfortable with awkward silence. You manage enough people in your life and you'll get comfortable with awkward silence. So, yes, Ms. Stacey? Um, well, I think about this passage a lot with the houses of plenty, the tax collectors, and, you know, and with them and the sinners. And, yep. and I love to feed people. Um, Good. We love to be fed. So it's. Well, and I've been in the nightclub with all the people. And um, they were surprised because I told them, you know, they, said they completed all this stuff that I was quick for them. Okay. You can make a cake in the microwave? Yeah, oh, I am all in for this. <laughs> all right, sorry. Um, Scribble that down in my notes here. <laughs> microwave cake. <laughs> um, but they, you know, just the fact that I took the time to do it. Just yeah. Um, and I've had a hard, hard year with the group of kids. Um, lots and lots of sinners and lots and lots of kids, so he also shared with them. That's awesome. Everybody in that room's a sinner, right? That's awesome. So that was, you know, at the end, being able to hear saying our goodbyes, you know, yeah. talk to some of them about some of the things they could do over the summer to build their faith. There you go. 
Excellent. Well done. Cool. All right, Miss Sherry, I saw that hand, I think. Amen. He is who he is, and he can do things for us. Amen. He is, he is. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 2 today. I'm going to read Mark chapter 2, and then we'll start looking at verses uh, 18 through 22. And uh, I'll, I'll give you the question that I'm going to ask you in a couple of minutes. And the question is there under the, are there any literary or structural observations? But if, and, and I don't do outlines often. Uh, I find that most of the time they're not helpful for me. It's not the way that I think about uh narrative. Um, but if you were to create an outline for Mark 2, 18 through 22, and it, and I find it sometimes easiest to, to create an outline when you hear it and you can start to categorize, this is kind of a thought and this is kind of a thought and this is kind of a thought. Be thinking about that as we get to verses 18 through 22. So I'll read uh, Mark chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as they reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields as they made their way. His disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did 
When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. When, uh, when my children were very little, we were at the Chattanooga campus. And the nursery was a very long ways away from uh, the Sunday school class that we taught in. And it would never cease to amaze me that we'd be sitting in class and my wife all of a sudden would just, I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I hear one of our children crying. And I'm thinking, no, you don't. That's not possible. There's no sound coming from there. And it's like, yes, it is. <clears throat> For those of you listening at home or watching on YouTube, there's a child uh, losing its ever-loving mind in the room next door. So uh, we'll just pray for peace and grace and love and mercy and uh, lots of mercy, right? <laughs> for the workers, yes. That's, I'm not worried about the child. The child will be fine. <laughs> the child has one lever to pull and it's screaming, right? So it's pulling the lever. So the workers need to figure out what's going on. All right, so if you were to create an outline for Mark 2, verses 18 through 22, what would it look like? Now, I don't want you to answer yet, because I want to go through the text, but I just want to ask this question a few times as we go through the text, and I want you to think about how these verses are constructed and how they're put together. Um, one of the interesting things to, to not forget is that God has given us written word. So we have to be, to some degree or another, students of written word and literature. And if this was not your thing in school, I would kindly ask you, uh, as, with as much mercy as I can muster, <laughs> to get over that. Because God has given us written word. And it is not easy. I'm, I'm a mathematician. And learning stuff about literature came very, very slowly for me. Uh, but now I like it because... This is what God has given us. So uh, as we look at verse 18, just keep that in mind. So verse 18. Uh, now John's disciples, and uh, it, we, we talked about this earlier in Mark chapter 1, but John had disciples, and disciples are just learners or followers, these people that, that followed the, the rabbi around, the teacher around, and did whatever the teacher did. Uh, John's disciples were fasting. Is that what the text says? John's disciples were fasting. Is that the text? It is what the text says, but I left it a little out, right? Now, do we equate fasting with a righteous thing or an unrighteous thing? Is this generally righteous or generally unrighteous? This is generally righteous, right? Okay. I want you to, don't miss this. So John's disciples, and we know John was a righteous guy, and the Pharisees were fasting. So it may surprise some of you, but there are unrighteous people in the world who do outwardly righteous-looking acts. And can blend in, from all appearances here, there's no distinction between the word for fasting relative to John's disciples and the Pharisees. They were, they were doing the same outward thing. Yes. Skip. No. Who's the, who's, have we mentioned any other John so far in Mark? So you, you are, that's a fantastic question. That is a great literary question because it's the only John we've mentioned so far, right? That's exactly right. John the Baptist had disciples. And we'll actually see uh, later on in Mark that some of 
John's disciples actually leave John to go follow Jesus. Which, if you're a, like if you're a teacher and you have people that are following you, going to do everything that you do, and then they up one day and leave you and go follow someone else, that could be a blow to your like, emotional well-being. And, and, and it was not for John. Because John knew who Jesus was, and this is a really, really big deal. But there were lots of disciples from a lot of different uh, teachers, and this is absolutely John the Baptist. So, great question. I love clarifying questions. Thank you for that. So, uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So, let's talk about uh, this word for fasting. This is the present participle active. Uh, So, this is repeatedly fasting. This is something that was a a habitual thing with them. This is regular with them. Uh, Fasting is just abstaining from food. Um, for the purposes of drawing closer to God, uh, for the purpose of being aware of our need and desire for the physical, and then redirecting that need toward the spiritual, if you will. Now, I have highlighted all the times the word fasting occurs in the Gospel of Mark. And, and some people, uh, I have heard this passage taught as if the whole thing is about fasting. And yes, the, the topic that is addressed here is fasting, but there's more that Jesus is saying. And I've highlighted these verses because the word fasting shows up three times in verse 18, twice in verse 19, and once in verse 20. And that's it for the Gospel of Mark. Fasting does not show up anywhere else. So the, the theme of the Gospel of Mark is not fasting. It, we, we good on that one? Everybody? Okay, good, good, good. Because one of the things that we are trying to do when we teach in Sunday school is to have the main idea of the text be the main thing that we focus on when we teach. Does this make sense? This is called uh, expository teaching. All right, so let's keep going. And people came. Is this abnormal at this point in Mark? Or is this part of just normal? At this point in Mark, you're just like, yeah, okay, there's just people everywhere. Oh, my goodness. Right? I mean, what if Jesus had been an introvert? Like, get away from me, I don't ever want people... Uh. He, he actually has characteristics of, of both sides of this, which is interesting. So, and people came and said to him, said to who? To Jesus, and we actually know this from the context of the question, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees... Fa- wait, 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 wait. So, Skip, we just talked about John's disciples, right? The Pharisees wanted to replicate their view of theology too. So they had, they had disciples. They had people following them around. And we remember we talked last week about the Pharisees. So who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the do-whatever-you-want-it's-all-okay group, right? It's, it's just fine. Everything's good. To go. No, Monsieur? What were they? They were the what? Yeah, they were the follow-you-around and say, you're not doing that right. These are the finger-waggers, right? The the, the Pharisees were just all the time, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. Uh, and I find it to be very helpful and healthy for me as I've gone through Mark to just about every two or three days ask the question, uh, am I behaving more like the Pharisees with the that's not right, that's not right, that's not right, or the disciples of Jesus, which is an interesting question. But. So the, the disciples of the, John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting. Uh, This is the same word as before. Uh, But your disciples do not fast. Which is an interesting question, right? Because you see all these disciples doing the same thing, but Jesus' disciples are doing something different. Now, I want to make sure we don't miss something here. 
Jesus' disciples are doing something different because Jesus is different. He is a different teacher. He is a different rabbi than all the other rabbis that anybody has ever known. He is fundamentally different. So Jesus answers them with a question. And I, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about this. Those of you that are parents, you, you have a very specific way that you feel about this. Because you're trying to get people to understand. You're trying to get your kids to understand. You're teaching them in the moment when they're asking questions. And this is Jesus' most common uh, answer when he is asked a question. Is you, he asks you a question back. Um, and then when you try to respond, he's going to ask you another question. And when you respond to that, he might ask you more questions. Uh, and every once in a while, you can read through the Gospels and you're like, that's kind of, it's a bit rude, isn't it? Yes, it is. He had no concern whatsoever about being rude to make sure that the theology that was being presented was good so that people could understand what he was teaching. So verse 19, And Jesus said to them, Can. All right. Tell Andrew I missed him this morning. Because this is the word uh, dunamai. Uh, It's very, very related to dunamis. Uh, It's the verb form of it. And this is the idea of, is there power? Is there ability? Is there uh, the strength to do? Uh, Is it possible to do this thing? So is it possible for the wedding guests? Now, stop just a second. We have changed topics. And this is what Jesus would do constantly. Somebody would ask him a question, and then he would go to a thing or an event or something that literally everybody could relate to. He would not pick these examples of, well, in theoretical physics, you know, the subatomic particles called quarks, they have different characteristics when they spin certain ways. Like, I mean, you're like every one of you just went, oh my gosh, is he going to talk about physics for a second? No. Right. Uh, weddings. Anybody ever been to a wedding? Everybody know what a wedding is? Everybody knows what a wedding is, right? Like, everybody knows what a wedding is, right? Okay, so here we go. So can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. So have you ever been to a wedding, and when you got there, they handed you the brochure, and they said, we're going to fast during today's wedding. There's going to be no food. We're just going to redirect our attention toward the Lord during our hunger pains. You're like, uh, nope. Anybody? Ever been to one like that? Now, you might have been to a wedding where the food was no good, right? You might have been to a wedding where uh, you weren't happy to be there. You may- but there's going to be food, right? It's just one of the fundamental elements of weddings. So can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? All right, so let's make sure we define our terms. Who is the bridegroom? Is that the guy or the girl? It's the man, right? Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now, Gary, uh, many years ago, established uh, the five, uh, oh my goodness, I'm in a blank. Thank you, Miss Darla. Five purposes of the church, right? So this is uh, a wife's responsibility. And we call it a wife, I can't believe I blanked on that. This is, I'm supposed to be up on the, on the stage this morning. This is not a good sign. <laughs> Uh, the, the five purposes of the church, uh, worship, instruction, and fellowship, evangelism, service, a wife's responsibility. And why do we call it a wife's responsibility? Because the church is the bride. Now, is the bride the guy or the girl? The girl. The bride of who? Christ. 
And Christ is a guy or a girl, man, right? You've never been asked, is Christ male or female before, right? Here you go. I want to make sure you get the who we're talking about. So in the analogy that, the, that uh, God uses in the New Testament to describe the church is the bride of Christ. While the bridegroom is with them, who is Jesus talking about using this male example? He's talking about himself, right? He's talking about himself, okay? Let's just make sure we're real super abundant clear. This would have been really awkward and weird if he'd have said the bride. We'd have been like, ah, the analogy broke down. I'm not sure where we're going with this one. He said the bridegroom, okay? Here we go. This is present active. This is right now. The, the bridegroom is actively with them. All right. As long as they have the bridegroom with, it means amid them, so in the midst of them, they cannot, they, there is no power, there is no ability for fasting. Same word for fast over and over and over again here. Nesteo. There's no ability for fasting. So they should not fast while the bridegroom is with them. Because fasting is also in the Old Testament associated with mourning, with repentance, with a contrite spirit, with a brought down, with a low. That is not how you want to be when the bridegroom, when Jesus is with them. So in verse 20, he's going to transition here a little bit. The days will come. So this is future indicative. This is talking about something in the future, and it's an indicative. It's a statement of fact. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Now, from what we know about the Scripture, was there ever a time when the bridegroom, and who is Jesus talking about when he says bridegroom? Talking about himself. Was there ever a time when the bridegroom was taken away? Yes. Okay, good. You see how this is working together? We just very methodically walk through. Now, the interesting thing here, I think, is that this is a passive. And I've highlighted it here because I can't stop thinking about that. And this is one of those, boy, I want to chase that. Like, that is really interesting. Because that means it was, he was acted, the bridegroom is being acted upon when he is taken away. But the sense that that is passive is not the main thrust of this text. We may or may not come back to this in around Mark chapter 12-ish, 13-ish, somewhere right in there. So the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Top of page 65, future indicative active. This is a thing that will happen in the future. They will actively do it, and it is a statement of fact. There will be a period of fasting in the future. In that day, in the future. All right, so verse 21. No, no one sows. Time out. What are you doing here, Jesus? We, like you asked a question about fasting, and we got off on weddings and bridegrooms, and now we're talking about sowing. Now, in public speaking, this is not uh, desirable because you are not sticking to your one thing that you're just going to hammer over and over and over and over. But Jesus is a master communicator. He's doing something here that I think if we think through this in an outline format, like how do these verses 21 and 22 fit with 18 through 20, it helps us quite a bit. So no one sows. All right. Now I have highlighted on verse 65 
occurs in 2.21 several different times. You see this? The word for sows occurs in 2.21. The word for peace occurs in 2.21. The word for uh, unshrunk occurs in 2.21. The word for cloth occurs in 2.21. It's the only time that word, those individual words, show up in the Gospel of Mark. Okay, And then if you drop down to the very bottom, the word old shows up once in verse 21, and then tw- uh, twice in verse 21, and then once in verse 22. So these are, uh, the word uh, tear shows up only in verse uh, 221. These are rare words in Mark. These are, these are words that are not used over and over and over. So back up to verse 21. No one sows. Is there anybody qualified to tell me what sowing is in the room? Darla, you think you got that? How does sowing fundamentally work? Like what do you, like at its most basic, what are you doing? It's, it's the joining, joining, right? We are joining. Okay, good. In a wedding, what is fundamentally happening? Yeah, like we, I, whenever I, somebody tells me, oh, I went to a wedding this weekend. I'm like, great, how was it? And they go on to tell me all about all this. I don't care about all the details. I don't care what the flowers look like. I don't care what the music was like. I don't care what any of that. Did he say I do? Did she say I do? Because if you got there, it was a good day. <laughs> like, it's just, we joined. That was the point. Like, we have two things coming together to be something new. So no one sews a piece or a patch of unshrunk or unprocessed cloth or rag or piece of cloth on an old or an antique or a worn-out garment. This make sense? Right. Darla's like, yes, absolutely makes sense. To me, I look at it and I go, okay. <clears throat> I'm just trusting that's just good common sense here, right? If he does, the patch, this thing that is uh, filled, the thing that is doing the job of completing, uh, and I've highlighted 643 and 820. So let's flip over to Mark chapter 6 for just a second. I want you to see how this word is used elsewhere in Mark. Because patch is a really curious translation for this word. So 643. So 643 is right in the middle of a great big text on Jesus feeding the what? The 5,000, right? So we get down to verse, we'll start in verse uh, 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Where did we talk about sowing? You're like, wait, what? Okay. Verse 43. And they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. What is the word? Look at your definition back on page 65 for the patch. This is the repletion or completion. What fills, what is filled. What's the word in verse 43? Full. This is the patched. This is the completed. 
this is describing the, the level to which the baskets were filled. It wasn't mostly filled. It wasn't partially filled. It wasn't kind of filled. It was totally filled. Let's look at Mark 8. Flip over a couple more pages. This is the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. This is a fantastically interesting text here. Um, but Jesus is playing 20 questions uh, with some folks here. And it says, uh, verse 17, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, that this is one of those uh, where Jesus looks a lot like God at the end of Job. Um, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see and having ears you do not hear. And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. Remember your kids, when you're lecturing them, they give really short answers, right? When they know you're really angry. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said, do you not yet understand? And when, when Jesus is asking you, do you not yet? I mean, it's got to be a little intimidating here, right? But in verse 20, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. What's the word there? Full, right? It's the same word for full. It's this idea that, that the provision of Jesus will be enough. This is capping off. This is complete. Now let's go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch, the thing that completes, the thing that fills up, the gap that was there before, tears away or is lifted up. Lifted up from what? From it, from the original, right? The new from the old and a worse tear is made, a worse schisma, a schism, a gap, a split. But that word for worse, I've got highlighted there, 526. Flip over to Mark chapter 5. Some of you are all like, we're actually moving around in Mark. I know, right? I figured the spine of your copies of Mark should use some exercise today. So getting a little exercise. So let's start with uh, verse 24 in one of the most unfortunate verse divisions in all of Scripture. Uh, And he went with him. Right? And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Which, I mean, this is typical, right? So we, this doesn't stop later on in Mark, in case you're wondering. In uh, verse 25, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. Right? So this is, a, this is the two times Mark uses this word in his gospel. One, there's a hole in your garment. That's bad. Right? And then here, the doctors made her worse. And she was broke. It was bad. This is not a, there's no positive connotation anywhere in the Gospel of Mark about this word. So it separates the new from the old, and a worse tear, a worse schism is made. Verse 22. And, because he's not done here, and no one puts or throws, which I think is a very odd translation, new wine. Oh my goodness, Jesus. All right. We were talking about fasting. Then we went to weddings. Then we went to sewing. And now we're in wine. Like today's text is 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Five verses and the topics that he has covered in five verses. 
Like, okay. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Now, does anybody know what a wineskin is? I won't ask you if you have a wineskin at your house. And just If you have a wineskin at your house, you know what a wineskin is. If you don't have a wineskin at your house, guess what you put in it? Wine, yes. This is a bag used as a bottle, right? Um, it's very, very simple. So if he does, if he puts this new wine into an old wineskin, the wine will burst or lacerate or destroy. Uh, flip over to Mark chapter 9 here to see how this word is used. Whenever you hear Gary say the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, it is literally what we are doing right now. It's my best Chris Traeger impression. Because seeing how these words are used in other places, this is what Bible study is. So verse uh, 9, verse 18. We'll start back up. There we go. Start in verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. What does that sound like? Sounds like a seizure, right? Yeah, it's really bad. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And we go on with all those sorts of things, right? He calls them a faithless generation. But in verse uh, 18, this word for burst is here. <coughs> it seizes him and it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. This word is only other used of somebody who looks like they're having seizures. This is a violent break. This is not a, oh, that sprung a tiny little leak. Isn't that unfortunate? Two drops fell out. No. This is, things get ruined. Things are, dist- it's just awful. And we see this from the context of the next couple words here. Uh, if he does, the wine will burst, the skins, and the wine is destroyed. This is the word that's used in uh, uh, Revelation over and over and over again. And so are the skins, right? It, you, you lose it all. You lose every bit of it. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So, I want to go back to that first question I asked you. If you were to create an outline for Mark 2, 18 through 22, what would it look like? Now, by my count, this is either the fifth or the sixth time I've asked you this question. So hopefully, through repetition, you have gathered that I think this is a valuable question. Because what you can do is you can either look at Jesus' teaching here and think that he is spastic, and can't stay on topic, or you can look at his teaching and see that he is doing something that is very cohesive. So, given that it is 9.43, we are going to stop right there. And that is part of your homework for next week. And we're going to keep this same handout. We're going to come back, and I've got probably a half a dozen other points to make about this particular text. And we will look at this text next week as well. So the blank at the bottom of your hand out there on page 66. Uh, next week we'll start with Mark 2, verse 18. We'll do it again. But we got through the words today, which is good. So now you have the context, you know, the topics, the ideas, what's going on. And some of you right now are going, I've got a new bottle of wine. I'm going to pour that into the old bottle. What is that? Don't do it. It'll make a mess. Don't do it. I'll give you a hint, the reason why. Does anybody know why? Like the scientific principles behind why? Why? 
Why, Miss Darla? It's alive. Wine's a living thing, which is kind of crazy to think about, right? But it's a living thing. There may be something there, too. I don't know. We may talk about that a little next week, too. So uh, that's the lesson for today. You should have a weekly update on your table. So uh, take a gander through those. We have a lot of prayer requests on here, uh, and we've got time today. So please go through, make sure you read through. If any changes or updates need to be made, make those on here. We'll get those updated. Um, uh, actually, Miss Darla will get those updated. Uh, thank you for that. So I appreciate that. And uh, we'll come back next week and take a look at this text along with a couple other questions, which I think might be helpful for us. So uh, that's the lesson for today. Uh, thanks for coming to Sunday School. And let's go worship this one who can use all these different topics to talk about really spectacularly amazing things. So thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.